the stressful part questions. I hope there are some. Hi, buddy. I'm Bruce Anderson. Hi, Bruce. I was fascinated by some of those pictures, um, sorry, uh, numbers that you put up there about the election results. And it occurred to me, looking at them, that Liz Awoski didn't really lose the election, that Mark Campbell won it. Because if you think that we had one uh, incumbent councillor who did not win again, and we had we elected two new ones, and if you look at Liz's figures there, they're very close to what she got the last time. Yeah. Would you agree with that, uh, sentiment? Absolutely. Um, and even if you look at Rob's, his numbers are exactly the same. Um, only in 2013, he was in the middle of the pack, and in 2017, he was at the bottom. So really, the standard did change. Now, there's two things I want to talk about here. First one is this idea that incumbents own their seat. They don't. That's something that we always think that they're entitled to it. Every four years, that seat becomes vacant. Incumbents just have an easier time because they're known, they understand the issues, so they have an advantage. But really, it's you don't own the seat. You have to, you have to earn it again. Um, but in this situation, that's what's most interesting about these numbers is that the, the, the vote spread speaks volumes about how the voter voted this time. Because these top eight are so close, because like Rob's at the bottom, but really the same, same vote count last time got him in the middle. So Liz didn't necessarily lose, she just didn't step up her game. Yes, the uh, of the twenty one uh, of the twenty two thousand people that voted, uh, a number of those people left blank their vote for a mayor. Um, I don't know what it comes out to a thousand, two fifteen hundred, two thousand people that went to vote for councillors, but they left their mayor ballot blank. Have you followed? Did you compare those numbers over the years? Was that significant, the people that left it blank this time versus, say, the last two or three times? Did you follow those numbers at all? No, I, I didn't, actually. And do you think, so then, of course, then you can't answer my question, which is, was it significant or what does it tell anyone uh, that 1,500, whatever it was exactly, uh, did not even vote for a mayor at all and, and what that would mean? And, of course, we have no numbers to compare it to, so... Do you have anything to say about that at all? Right. Um, I do just quickly off the top of my head, I know in uh, the vote spread for mayor in the last election was quite tight. Spearman won, but he didn't win by a landslide necessarily. This time he won by a landslide. So mayoral races um, typically either be really exciting or very, very boring. Um, and I think in this situation, it was, although there was some interesting dialogue uh, at the forums between the, the mayoral candidates, it was fairly obvious that Spearman was going to win again. Incumbency at the mayor level is very hard to unseat, and there just wasn't enough um, energy issue, controversy, so people didn't vote because they knew he was going to win. Mm -hmm. I just think that the number of people that didn't vote for a mayor at all, and if you compare it to other years, I think that says a lot, actually. Thank you. Yeah. People are allowed to vote, they're allowed not to vote. Democratic right, again. Uh, I'm Trevor Page. I, I want to congratulate you on a brilliant analysis. Thank you very much for that. I was also delighted that you challenged council to develop 
a vision and a direction. Now there's music in my ears. My question deals with growth. Completely agree with what you said about growth for growth's sake. I have asked successive mayors of what is the plan for Lethbridge in terms of numbers of people. I chose to live here because it's a small town, but it was 85,000 then. The answer I get is wishy-washy. There's no, no clear answer at all. And my question is what? I gather that across Canada, I'm a new Canadian, across Canada, anybody that can come to anywhere at all to live. So there's uncontrolled growth. Okotoks, I gather, put a lid on it, and it, I don't think it worked very well from what I hear, but perhaps you can tell us how does the city council control growth in terms of the number of residents living in what has been to me a beautiful small town? Thank you. It's a good question. Um, firstly, growth can be very expensive. So residential growth will cost the municipality and the taxpayer a lot of money, but commercial growth will actually subsidize a lot of the residential costs. So a lot of councils have to look at what that balance is. How much commercial versus how much residential? And then the next question becomes what type of residential? Because single family dwellings that, you know, where you have urban sprawl are very expensive because you have to bring in roadways, you have to pay for garbage pickup that's out, right? So there's a lot of expense to growth. That's why purposeful growth matters. If you want to be a, a city with a small town feel, you have to make design decisions about what that looks like. High River is a good example. They are um, considered um, a town, but their population is well over a city. But they've chosen to develop their industry and their commercial sector to represent small town feel. It's very purposeful. Now that's easy when you get to redesign your whole community after after a flood, again a silver line into a very tragic situation. But they want they were purposeful in deciding what they wanted to be as a community. They had hard discussions about what they will encourage to come in and what they won't. Lethbridge needs to have that conversation because commercial growth you can't just say we just need new business. I equate that to saying I'll let anyone date my daughter. No, actually I won't. When she's old enough to date, we will have very specific criteria about who is accessible and who is not. To say new business, at, at, and it doesn't matter what it is, actually is, like I said, like saying, sure, anyone can date my daughter. They can't. You need to have, you need to have criteria because that speaks to your community spirit. It speaks to your identity. It speaks to who will stay and who will go. So when you talk about the type of people living here, it really is decided by the type of industry and commercial and um, employment opportunities you have. Because, like I said, we have two post-secondaries and it's very, very difficult for someone with a degree to stay in the city of Lethbridge. They need to go and get a job elsewhere. And if they're lucky enough to come back, those opportunities are limited. It really is difficult. So if the city wants to encourage or attract young people to stay here, they're going to have to design that. And they're going to have to have housing to match it. Hello, my name is Knut Peterson. Ronnie, thanks very much for encouraging the pilot to go a little faster coming home from Toronto yesterday so you could be here today. <laughs> uh, 
I'll tell question, you the real story after. <laughs> my question relates to uh, forums and surveys and all these things that uh, we think are very important in these elections. Lethbridge uh, County did a great job of doing a survey. Uh, do you think that was a valuable thing? And same with uh, there was a lot of forms and uh, how important do you think those things are? Yeah, I, I'm thinking maybe not as important as we like us to put them on think they are, but can you throw us in on that? Well, as someone who believes strongly in the informed vote, um, having access to information is crucial. And it's very difficult um, in today's day and age to trust the media, although it is a good vehicle for information. During an election, Leverage Accountability is actually one of my favorite sites. Um, and it's not just because I've contributed some of the questions, but to have all of that information in an unbiased, form on one site that gives you access to who the candidates are, where the forms are, all the information you need to be truly informed is fantastic. So use of the internet is one thing, but Leverage Accountability, I think, created just a really good vehicle to keep the voter informed. So, and I'm hoping that the, the popularity of the site goes up because, again, it is unbiased, which is kind of important. And the, the variety of questions, almost every candidate filled out the survey and you really learned a lot about each of the candidates, so that was good. The forums and the meet and greets, I feel bad <laughs> for the 29 candidates that ran. There was, I think, a forum or a meet and greet every other night throughout this entire campaign. So think about it. these people had to go to work all day, come home, and then prepare for some very intense forums, some very intense questions, putting on their, their A game to meet and greet the public. Although it's a great way to sort of advertise yourself, think about how absolutely exhausting that would be. However, being accessible to the public is important. So I would say that the forums, although not as well attended as they could be, are a crucial part of democracy and campaigning because you need to see the candidates to really get a feel for it. So um, I think that those two, between surveys and online and then I think the forums really door-to-door -door knocking when you have 29 candidates is kind of difficult. So um, I think it's a better option. Did that answer your question? Leftwithaccountability.com is fantastic. Um, I'm glad finally you came down to the number of candidates that ran because I think that's significant. I think it got missed in your presentation. My understanding is places like Red Deer, the, the number of actual candidates was much, much smaller. I respect I understand that could be corrected on this, that there were acclamations. So the number of candidates that came out of Lethbridge, I think, is significant. For, for eight seats, you had 29 people running. But it does become a bit of a traffic jam there, and it's very hard for people to break out of the pack. Um, so I guess the question is, can you see any ways in which that problem could be resolved, or, or at least alleviated? That's a very tough one. You don't, you don't want to limit a person's ability to run for office. That's right, there's been, a, a 29 is a lot for sure, because then you, you do lose, suddenly name recognition becomes very, very important simply because you're exhausted as a voter to try and figure out um, the difference between person X and person Y. Um, 
But on the other hand, you also don't want to make it cost prohibitive for someone to run. It already is, right? These are part-time positions. Most of these councillors have full-time jobs once they actually get elected. So to actually run shouldn't be expensive. So how then do you narrow it down? How do you make it easier for people to know who's running and to limit the number of people running? My personal thought is we need to have some criteria. Education. I don't believe that anyone should be able to put their name on a ballot without going through a three or four hour tutorial on what it is to be a councillor. Know what the MGA is, the Municipal Government Act. Understand your role as policy maker and decision maker versus administration. Um, the Lethbridge Library put on uh, Candidate 101, which I got to actually present at, which was really fun. But it was the first step in educating potential candidates on what it is to actually be an elected official. And one of the, the, the number one criteria was if you don't like making decisions, don't run for council. You have no idea how many people don't understand that. And right away, that, I think, eliminated some people from putting their name on the ballot because I don't like making decisions. I don't want to go to meetings. So understanding the nature of the role, of the job, I think will provide better quality candidates who understand why they're running, and you'll see less of, of you know, 29 candidates running. But it can't be so hard that no one runs, because acclamation is more offensive in my mind. Thank you, Bonnie, for our energetic and enthused uh, presentation. My name is Mary Shellington, um, and I'm going to change the focus for a minute uh, because you talked about the CAO and that for the last 30 years that's been an in-house uh, uh, hiring. Uh, I'm assuming a couple of things that probably because uh, the present CAO, I believe, is retiring end of December, is that correct? Um, beginning of January. Beginning of January, yeah. Okay, so that's not enough time. I think you're right that uh, the council needs to have a vision. Now, if the council's going to need to have some time to develop what their current vision is, and if you're going to hire a CAO that has a different vision than what you have, there's going to be problems. So therefore, they have to have time to make their, to work on their vision, and then uh, start looking for somebody. Uh, so, am I making the correct assumptions and can you, uh, what's the advantage of hiring from within and what's the advantage of hiring outside? If the organization does have a succession plan in place where an internal candidate is a natural for the city manager position, um, that's excellent. However, here's what's interesting. The city of Lethbridge is a, a three to four hundred million dollar corporation. Um, it's a huge business. And sometimes I think when you have too many internals, it's status quo. It's this is how we've always done it. So you're not getting those fresh ideas. Now, I feel that this, it's time for the city to look externally and bring in some fresh blood, like I said, to capitalize on, on the solid foundation that already exists. And I do believe that um, an external is that individual. Not that I'm judging any of the potential internal candidates, but I kind of am. Um, so I think that in an organization where if the internal matches the, the vision, great. But right now, council doesn't know what their vision is. So they have an opportunity to stop, take some time, they have an interim CAO coming in. That will give them the stability they need so general operations get done. They don't have to worry about that. Then they can build um, a profile 
of what it is they're looking for and who. And if an internal matches that, great. But if not, they should not be afraid to look externally. And right now I think there's a little bit of fear about an external, simply because they're so used to the internal hirings. Um, so it would, an external would definitely shake some things up, and I think that that's what the city needs. Hi, my name is Eddie Wendell. Hi, Bonnie. Hi. Um, you've given us a lot of numbers, data, incumbency versus new. I wonder, I feel that in a good council, the very important thing is to get a representation of a diversity of experiences and backgrounds. And I don't think it's accidental that the that the consummate historian Belinda Croson got a seat on council. We haven't had that on council. We've had entertainers, uh, yes, uh, uh, Mark Campbell, uh, both entertainer, I guess, and uh, a news media thing. But um, uh, what is the sort of background of the councillors to make a sound council going forward into the future? Well, I, this, Lethbridge traditionally doesn't have a very diverse membership on council. Um, they're very typical in a lot of ways. In fact, we've, we've lost a, a woman on council. We had two before, we only have one now. Um, we don't have a lot of diversity. Uh, so that, that's democracy. That I can't really speak to because it's who runs and it's who gets elected that creates the, the council dynamic. Um, would I like to see more diversity? Yes, because when you have different voices, different perspectives, it helps with decision making. And this is another point that I make. Um, the, the unanimous vote is not always the best vote. If there was only meant to be one opinion, there would only be one person on council. There's eight people on council and a mayor for a reason, to debate, to have collegial discussion about where they should go, what decisions should be made. Debate and dissent is very important. After the vote, council has to accept whatever, whatever the majority states. But I think that when you have a council that believes so strongly in the unanimous vote, it's actually a detriment to the public. So that's my concern with the incumbents. Um, I don't feel there's enough debate. I'm hoping that with Belinda, for instance, coming onto council, she's going to ask a lot of questions. And because of her research background, I think they're going to be very good, critical thinking questions that will hopefully spark more debate. Because that's my concern, is that these individuals are so comfortable with each other that we're not going to get the debate. But when you've got your Joe Moros and your Jeff Kaufmans um, who are going to challenge a bit more, I, I think that we will all be better served. So right now, I don't know what the dynamic is, but I'm hoping, I'm hoping that with, in the absence of real diversity, debate and, and discussion will, will create better decisions. More women would be better as well. <laughs> My name is Darlene McLean Bonney. Are you aware that shortly after the last election, Jeff Kaufman brought forward a resolution asking for a two-year budget, and it was voted down by a great many, of, uh, and I, I, I don't want to, a great many of the people that got re-elected were the ones that voted that resolution down. Are you aware of that? 
Do you know who those people were? I wish I had it in front of me. And so that everybody here knew who was trying to shut down more investigation on the budgets uh, and who did you help to get elected that, that will just vote it down again next time? Um, I am aware of that. Um, in fact, it was brought forward to council twice and voted down twice. I think there's a lack of understanding about how important the budget is. I call the budget the municipal constitution. Uh, it really is. You can, you can have as many strategic plans as you want, but it comes down to the budget and where money is allocated. If money isn't allocated towards your project or your initiative, it's not a priority. That's just the nature of it. So the budgeting process is crucial to implementing council's vision. A, a, a two-year budget is a responsible way of looking at what your priorities are and allocating and making adjustments for funding when necessary. Four years is too long. Who knows what they're doing in four years? It's good to have an idea, which is why I believe in forecasting. Looking forward four years and understanding what your potential capital projects are and what your potential um, initiatives are is very important. But to say that it's not open for debate, it's a closed budget, is absolutely ridiculous. And as a counselor, I would never give up the fun of going through budget deliberations because that's when you, they're laughing. Budget is fun, strategic budgeting is fun because that's when you discuss where you're going and if your vision continues to make sense, why would you ever give that up? So I feel that what happened around council table was just, it became budget is very difficult to do, it takes a lot of man hours, person power, or person hours, um, and so let's just, let's just do the four year budget and be done with it. I don't think they fully understood the significance of creating a budget that matches where you want to go. If they did, I don't think they'd vote it down again. These will be our last two questions, and as a point of clarity on the earlier question, 29 people ran for eight council positions in Red Deer this year. Uh, Bob Tarlick, earlier there was a question about filters to reduce the, uh, the number of candidates running for council. In my view, there's one really important uh, condition that candidates need to make. They need to be breathing on nomination day. That's it. I think when you start putting in other filters, you are interfering with the, the democratic process. And just to make it easier for voters, I think that is a very dangerous path just to walk along. So if they're breathing and if they're interested in what, and, and are willing to nominate, let them go for it. Justin Ellis, and uh, I, I made a conscious decision uh, to, to move here about five years ago uh, because I enjoy the quality of life. I like it here. Uh, I made sure I voted to get the people in that I wanted to see. And you're right, there there were a couple of uh, women in there that I voted for that I thought would have done a really good job, and unfortunately they didn't get in. But, uh, I, I, I just wanted to maybe ask for a little bit more clarification on some of the, <coughs> the issues you, that you raised about the, the, the city's budget and uh, the city's visions and values. So I, I go on the, the website quite frequently and I've attended the city council meetings before and they do have visions and values, they do have 
their strategic plans. Um, their four-year budget, with, which I 100% agree with, and considering that that's how I earn my living is, is doing budgeting, business planning, and uh, forecasting. Uh, their budgets for the last couple of years have, have actually gotten the Distinguished Budget Presentation Award uh, over and over and over again. And if you go through them, uh, a lot of what's what's in them, council shouldn't be. I would I would argue that council shouldn't be wasting their time with. If they've already made a decision on on recycling, and this is what we want to do with recycling, it's it's up to the administration to figure out uh, how many trucks they need to service those those areas and how many people they need to operate those trucks. And if the city grows a little bit, then they'll adjust. But uh, it, it takes a lot of, of people's time to do a budget every year and and for growth I mean if, if you look at the budget uh, that they that they put together they tell you what your tax increase is going to be year one year two year three year four and you can go in and you can find a lie and, uh, for example that new ATV center one ATV center when it's fully operational in 2019 needs 80 lifeguards. So we don't need city council to go back and, and debate the budget when they already know they really need 80 lifeguards to run that pool. They've already made the decision. So I think I think the four-year operating budget is fine the way it is. And uh, for the capital improvement plan, I think that's where we need council to represent our, our strategic plan going forward of, of our growth. So whether we want the exhibition to expand our economic opportunities, whether we want the Performing Arts Centre, because we value the, the arts and culture that will come with that, maybe we can focus, would you agree, maybe we can focus council's attention a little bit more on, on, the, on the capital and the growth part and leave the day-to-day -day operation of the city to the administration. Um, well, I would absolutely agree that the day-to-day -day operation um, is up to administration. That's clearly outlined. Um, however, uh, the MGA outlines that council has a duty to involve itself in, in the general operating direction. Um, so operational efficiencies, how what the bottom line is, absolutely matters. Um, and they have every right to ask questions about how that's decided and whether or not it is being efficient. Um, or not. When you talk about the ATV center or, or any sort of capital project, before council ever approves any capital infrastructure, they should have an understanding of the ongoing maintenance of that. So again, I agree, they shouldn't get bogged down in whether you need 80 lifeguards or, or 75. That's not the issue. It's should you build it in the first place. Um, and I think that you have to factor in sort of the vision of council and you have to marry that to the operational realities. Council needs to understand those operational realities if it's going to make solid decisions. At the end of the day, they're the ones that sign the budget. They need to understand it. And if it's too complicated for them, then maybe they shouldn't be on council. So, like, all that information is readily available to anyone who wants to look at it. It's there. And and for the details are not. was was a labor of love so thank you for letting me share it with you and for being so patient 
and uh, asking really good questions. Thank you.